Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Well, welcome one and all to Be Real, guys. It's your movie reappraising podcast. Uh, and gosh, do we have a, uh, a journey for you this time. I'm Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And on this episode, we take to the sea. Noah, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, I had a lot of fun with these, uh, with these movies this week. Uh, so I'm in a good place right now. Two of them are some of your most watched movies, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they're definitely in a, uh, a subcategory of movies that I've watched extensively, mostly on VHS. The movies we watched, uh, 1997's Titanic, perhaps you've heard of it, uh, 2000's Perfect Storm, and 1972's Poseidon Adventure. These are uh, disaster movies upon the sea. Um, yeah, in, a, in an episode we're calling what? You're a real dick, the sea. <laughs> why you gotta Why you gotta be such an asshole, the sea? Um, that is what we're calling it. Um, yeah, these are all sort of like they're all ensemble kind of mostly blockbuster. Perfect storms, I say, a little underneath blockbuster um, movies. But it's still and, a pretty well known film, I would yeah. say. To, made by a blockbuster director and Wolfgang Peterson. Um, yeah. And I got to say, just so we can get this out at the start, the thing that absolutely links all these movies is the hubris of man, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. It's definitely like boat versus nature. And by you boat, sh- it's just unbelievable sea hubris. <laughs> yes. You should not fuck with the sea. And these are uh. <laughs> uh, these are interesting movies because like unlike an All Is Lost or a Life of Pi, which we consider doing here, like they don't really get into like the poetry of like man versus nature. It's kind of just like an asshole made a decision to take on the sea, and the sea completely kicks people's ass for doing that. Oh yeah, that the sea definitely wins at every at every turn. A total snap judgment. It's not like a vivid antagonist. It's just right. destroying the thing that you're on. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's a and it's a great genre of film because you're taking what is you know you're taking really any dramatic tale, and then you basically just destroy the setting. Yeah, and sort of, and like, and drama naturally unfolds because ultimately these are all stories of, you know, they're not just love stories or stories of like pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps or you know becoming a uh, a prominent folk rock group in the early seventies. These movies are about sheer survival. For now, Noah, would you like to revisit the Titanic? It's been 19 years. I mean, take your time. Just remember anything you can. Do you want to hear this or not, Chance? (laughs) It's been 19 years, and I can still smell the fresh paint. The blockbuster had never been truly acquired. The sheets had never been slept in. They called Titanic the movie of dreams. And it was, Chance. It really was. Take a look at this drawing that we found just today. A piece of paper that's been underwater for 85 years. I'll be damned. All right, you have my attention. Can you tell us who the woman in the picture is? Oh, yes. The woman in the picture is me. So the movie opens with some shots of two submarines, like, checking out the wreck of the Titanic, which is actual real footage of the Titanic that James Cameron shot. Yes, he loves underwater experiences. He just baits to the Titanic. <laughs> yes. And under and like submersibles of all stripes. <laughs> yes. And so it opens with that, and then we're introduced to this like sort of bizarro Bob Ballard 
who right. is discovered, who is like kind of who, grave maybe he hasn't discovered the Titanic, but he's like, yeah, he's 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 doing some sort of thing on Titanic, and you're not sure what it is, but they're like going through the rooms and they go to this one estate room and they find this safe and they're all excited and they pull the safe to the surface and you realize they're looking for this diamonds. Mm -hmm. So they don't find the diamond in the safe, but what they do find is this picture of this, this, this uh, portrait that's been drawn of this naked woman and they put it on television and the woman who is presumably in the photo in the, the drawing surfaces and says, that's me. And then so she goes out to this boat that they're on and she tells them the story of what happened on Titanic, presumably so they can figure out what the, what happened with the, the necklace. Right. The heart of the ocean jewel. The diamond, the heart of the ocean jewel. So then we flash back to 1914 and this old woman tells us the story and she is a young version or she's the older version of Kate Winslet who then has this sort of, you know, Jane Austen-y, uh, rejection of her upper class ways. Uh, she's about to get married to Billy Zane's character, and her mom's like super broke, so she wants her to get married to this rich guy, and they mm-hmm. like do all these fancy dinners, and she hates it, and so she tries to kill herself by throwing herself off the edge of Titanic. And just as she gets to the end, she meets Jack, of course, Leonardo mm. DiCaprio. Yes. And then their romance sort of blossoms from there, and she realizes she can have. Another life. But in the middle of it, (laughs) they're on fucking Titanic. So, of course, it hits a fucking iceberg. And the the motherfucker sinks. (laughs) Yes. And uh, sinks in in turn with the the morals of Billy Zane, who becomes an incredible villain. Um, Him and and his uh, his stooge Lovejoy. Lovejoy. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the movie. It is essentially like two movies that are like brilliantly put together. And I love that you brought up the VHS because the whole time I was watching this long ass movie. I mean, everyone knows it's long, but it's a solid three hours, 18 minutes. I love the, the, the visual representation forever stuck in my mind is the, just how massive those two VHS tapes. Oh yeah. The double VHS. But in a film full of iconic images, one of the first recognizable things you see is Bill Paxton's earring, <laughs> <laughs> lit by the eerie green light of the uh, some the light coming through the porthole of his submarine. Um, yeah, he is just so silly, and I don't think it like damages the movie really. But God, he's just not a good actor. Well, this that's so what this I find so funny about this movie is that the actors in this movie are all on like very different but very distinct pages. Yes, indeed. And most, I would say, seventy five or maybe it was a hundred percent of the actors. I feel like they all had the stage direction. Treat this like a Greek tragedy. Sure. And like a lot of them took that note to like an interesting level. And then Bill Paxton was just like, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to be really Bill Paxton. (laughs) (laughs) I've been searching Titanic for 10 years and I never really got it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a pretty decent impression. Um, Cause one of the things about the cigar leisurely into the water. Why don't we get into how do you how do you sort of explain the different page that all the different people are are on acting wise? Do you think that part of it just comes from like there are so many I think like great incidents in this really long movie and so just like every even these minor minor characters might actually have like four or five scenes to do their thing. Well, I think part of the problem is that it it has that sort of, it doesn't know if it's a period piece or not. Like, it doesn't know because it's showing you what the present world is like. It doesn't know how far to go into, like, the Downton Abbey sort of affect. Right. That's true. So I, th- I think that sets it up weirdly. But I think a lot of the actors were thinking that, like, this is going to be shot like a Downton Abbey. I mean, before that existed. But, like, that same sort of PBS masterpiece theater milieu. Yeah. Um, and then, like, but but Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, like, that's not their brand. 
Right. So like acting off of them, they're these two outsiders, both on the acting on the narrative level, but also as actors, I felt like mm-hmm. starring in their own movie that like didn't include a lot of the world. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the like the banter that they have when they're talking about spitting and the way that like Leo is making no attempt at any sort of like dialectic affect at all and compare that to like Victor Garber's performance, like that's a pretty crazy contrast. Yeah. It's um well, I think the other th- problem with all the performances in the movie, if there is one, is the fact that the script is bad. It is the script is bad. I mean, you like, like the, line the for line. Dialogue the dialogue is, is bad. Is so bad, and like it, it's so striking because it does take these two tones that James Cameron clearly can't write in the present vernacular, nor in the one from 1914. I agree with you, but then to come to the defense of the script, one of the best things about it is. And like this affects what makes the movie ultimately like really good, I think, is it's it just it's management, if that's not too cynical of a word, because you're you're going in and out of these amazing set pieces, like putting a romance movie together with a disaster movie. Um, You have the entire period, like a half an hour once when they hit the iceberg to like when the shit goes down, that is just kind of like quiet, like sort of brutal irony. And like it never gets boring. And that's such an amazing achievement. Well, it becomes like this unexpected action movie because the movie sort of seduces you into thinking that that's not what's going to happen. Right. Even though you know going in that this is the story of Titanic, I feel like after an hour I was like, oh, wait a minute, then they do hit that fucking iceberg. Yeah. It's the structural sort of Yeah, uh, but it's it's clever in that way. Yeah. You know what I think is one of like the best small decisions they make in the entire time is... Um, and it's kind of like played for a, a dumb joke on one of Paxton's dude is when they show old Rose the simulation of the sinking um, because she, yeah. her, her reaction is just like, Jesus, like I was there. Why the hell are you showing me this? But for you, the viewer, then the entire time as we're like zooming down to a porthole and, and coming back up to the deck and seeing like water rushing through a door, you have the... Uh, anatomy of the disaster in your head right. the entire time, which is a well, great Well, it's basically move. like the scene from Jurassic Park that explains DNA to you. It's like a history lesson like wrapped inside an establishing element just so you understand what the story is going to be. So, yeah, sort of. But I I mean, I think it's like a map for the disaster. That oh, yeah, up, yeah. But yeah. in the same way that it like it makes logical sense to you and you know sort of like what's going on. Right, yeah. You needed this sort of history lesson to like explain the authenticity to you. right. Right. Well, I just think this movie, if we can talk about where it succeeds for a second. Totally. Is just the sheer fucking production value of it. It's oh, just yes. like first class in every sense, save for the scripts. Yeah. Um, but like there's 25 extras in like every shot of this movie. Mm-hmm. And like every wide shot they can take, they're like, we built this fucking half model of the Titanic. God damn it. We're going to use the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. And it's just so no expense spare. Like you can tell that it's like a first class feature film and that's what, and, and, and and cutting edge in the like mix of digital stuff, you know, some of it looks like a little bit cheesy, but it, it just, it looks even now 19, almost 20 years later, so authentic. Well, yes, totally agree. And I wanted to address like a couple of the things that look cheesy are just like, I think are saved by the fact that like your way into this movie is through um, Rose's kind of like young dream about this anomaly that none of us will ever see. So if like the, if the CGI on the big boat, like looks (laughs) a little kind of like puffy, well, it's like, you know, we're headed into someone's golden dream. Like, and I think that like the movie can really fall back on that. Um, The the only shot that I kind of groan at in that way is there's that like wide sort of helicopter shot that like takes you from the bow when he's doing I'm King of the World, like over the smokestacks. Yeah. Like that is like, okay, James Cameron, like I know you were trying to show off like what you could do with the computer at the time, but like, yeah, I don't know. Right. Well, I mean, that's an example of a shot that's just kind of like bragging. Yep. So um, I think for the most part, though, and this goes with what you're talking about, 
what's so amazing about Cameron's visual style, and I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm no great shakes at describing visual style, but like, I just can't really find one other than like, I want to make you forget that there's anything outside of this endeavor that I'm doing, like other than the massiveness of what I'm doing. Cause he's not really like oh, yeah. a fundamentalist about any other kind of visual quirk. Like on the one hand, he will, he'll show you the size of the ship because he has to, like that's the movie. But then I loved like, there's that moment I was struck by right when, right after they hit the iceberg and the people in um, like the lower, like the lower deck with the steering wheels are like running, scrambling around. And like, it just follows this guy shooting down the stairs, a completely anonymous worker. Like he's not married to anything. Like he just wants to go where the action is and it's, it holds up so well. Oh yeah. What's so funny. And I think it's an important aspect of this film is visually establishing that the Titanic itself is like such an unwieldy object. Absolutely. And like, especially at the end when the, like when the big ass comes out of the, uh, the water. <laughs> yeah. That's just like such a, and he like does it perfectly with the lifeboats just to show you how goddamn big this thing is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And thinking about that too, like the level of, the level of imagination to, I mean, obviously you're not going to kill your main characters like halfway through the shipwreck, but just the, the idea of like, I feel like sort of the guiding principle of the disaster was imagining what if these two people on this giant, as you put it, unwieldy thing were the absolute last two to hit the water and then like they're at the tail end of every stage of the disaster. So you get to see it like structurally. It's great. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. a, I mean, it's a great disaster movie. Um, yeah. Um, I think, can we talk about the portrait scene, the in, the famed, infamous portrait scene? Sure, but talk to me like I one think, of your French girls when you do it. Okay. I think the portrait scene is maybe like the most erotic moment I've ever witnessed in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> oh my like gosh. I've seen a lot of like gross, over-the-top sex scenes in my time, but there is just something so... Like, I literally look like Bill Paxton when they cut back to the future after yeah. she, like, tells that story. It's just, like, so – there's just something so, like – this is what a child conceives, like, a sexual encounter will be like. Well, yeah. I mean, the restraint is, like – and his determination is super hot. Like, it's great. Right. It's just such a, like – I, f- I don't feel gross about it. Like, I felt like, yeah, like these two people, look at them go. Why can't I be like you, Jack? Just head out for the horizon whenever I feel like it. I've got 10 bucks in my pocket. I have nothing to offer you. And I know how the world works. I'm flying. I just think it's so funny to watch it now. Watching them, like, act with each other is almost like between takes, like, Leo leans in. He's like... Hey Kate, let's just go for it because like we're about to be the most famous movie stars of our particular gender. And Kate's <laughs> like, "Okay, let's just be cute and like see what happens." And they're like, "Okay." And then like the chemistry by the end of it because I imagine shooting this movie was like an excruciating process. By yeah. the end of it they have like this camaraderie that almost like yeah, they've had sex but they're almost like just like good friends and you're sort of watching them. Yeah, the l- it's, I, yeah. Go ahead. It's strange to think that the 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 star making roles that created um, actors whose later part selection will show a lot of ego. Yes, um, right. but the actual performance that created that ego has very little. Like it must have been kind of embarrassing for Leo to like whoop, whoop, like a hundred times when he's like at the front of the boat. I don't know how many takes he had to do either. I mean, you're just sort of a a plaything for James Cameron's whims. Yes. Um, but that's, but like they give them enough to do that you really do. I mean, it's such a heartwarming story. Yeah. I mean, it's not a very complex story, but no. neither are most of James Cameron's movies. You know who's no one's plaything, Noah? That'd be William Who? Zane. Oh, Mr. Billy Zane? Yeah. Can I just, can I share with you my favorite? Billy Zane exclamations. Why don't you do that? And uh, I'll do the same. 
Look at me, you filth. <laughs> You'll swamp us. That's a good one. Rose is displeased. <laughs> oh my god. Um this is not an exclamation, but the uh the most romantic thing I think you can say to a person who to whom you're betrothed is I know you've been melancholy lately. I don't pretend to know why. <laughs> oh my, my God. fiance, my fiance, you're my wife if in practice, if not yet by law, so you shall honor me. <laughs> I have a child, I have a child here. Uh, um, this movie... Wait, oh, this is my favorite in the whole movie. All right. What, to him? To be a whore to a gutter rat? <laughs> Oh my god. Um, it's amazing the links that this movie goes to to let him be like an asshole in different ways. To all the way to the end, to the point where he is risking his life and kills Lovejoy just to be an asshole. It's shocking. Right. It's tough to feel bad for him like when he realizes that Kate's cheating on him. Yeah. Um... But I don't know. Billy Zane just, like, really carries, like, the darkness of this movie. Like, he clearly went to, like, the Joseph Fiennes school of acting in that Ooh, way. Great call. Oh, and the, the way Zane's hair, like, flies in front of his oh face as he shoots that gun. Oh, uh, my God. It's, it's a wonderful toupee. Like, one of the best I've ever seen. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um. Travolta as Bob Shapiro wishes that that was his hair with that middle part. It does right. end up in a middle part in the crucial moments, and it was not in a middle <laughs> part earlier, which is great. Um, all right, let's rate this puppy. I'm going to have to go with a hot, great, great on this one. It's a an enduring good, good. Because um, mm-hmm. you you just get lost in the the magic when it take when that takes over the. The silliness. Of yeah, I mean, what's like, going on. there's a lot of silliness in it, but it's so entertaining. The silliness that I think it's, I think it's a great, I think it's a good, a hard good good. What's next, big cat? I think we need to get to the perfect storm, Skipper. All right, let's talk about the perfect storm. In the fall of 1991, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester, Massachusetts, and headed for the fishing grounds of the North Atlantic. Two weeks later, an event took place that had never occurred in recorded history. And so, yeah, George Clooney is is captaining. He's the skipper of a, a sword fishing boat with a, a red... On a cold head. streak, though. Yes, he is on a cold streak, and that's kind of how the movie opens. Uh, he comes back to port with uh, his right-hand man, Mark Wahlberg, John C. Riley, uh, John Hawks is in this movie in a very Alfred early... Pierre. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're just, they're not cutting it, because as seems to have been the case for the last 70 years off the North Atlantic coast, the fish are not biting. Um, I've listened to Down Easter Alexa, everyone knows this. He decides that uh, they gotta, they just got to go out further to find uh, the big swordfish, all the way out to the Flemish Caps, um, which, is, which is far. Uh, and it's particularly inadvisable to go that far when you have a uh, three storm fronts coming together, blocking their way back, which, uh, as Noah put it to me via text, a very aroused Christopher McDonald says, uh, it's... The perfect storm. You could be a meteorologist all your life and <laughs> never see something like this. It would be a disaster of epic proportions. It would be the perfect storm. Yeah, so they go for economic gain, for the score, for the love of the sea, because there's nothing better than being on a sword fishing boat. Um, and gosh, do they pay the price for it. And then abruptly cut to the warden from the Shawshank Redemption. And who has Karen Allen. And Karen Allen, the love interest from Raiders of the Lost Ark, on this sailboat, and you're just like, from the establishing shot of him just like bragging about like how many years he's been sailing, you just know that they're fucked. Yes, they are. Um, why don't, 
Okay, in the same way we did limited run on Bill Paxton, let's do the score right now and then not talk about it again. You Well, the score, of course, was composed by <laughs> one James Horner. Rest in peace. Right. Died recently. But he also did Titanic, too. He did. And they're, I mean, the intense parts of both are near similar in melody. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I laughed like a hyena when the opening number comes in and it's, you know, classical strings, Horner, mixed with like Eddie Van Halen guitar guitar flourishes. (laughs) What kind of choice is that? Every time like there's a boat moving at any sort of clip, it's like, wow, it's so good. (laughs) Oh, just a little uh, dirt and grime underneath. Well, every movie he like picks, uh, it's either going to be the bagpipes or the electric guitar. And so for Titanic and Braveheart, it's, you gotta. Uh, <laughs> for good movies, he goes bagpipes. You know, this movie also, like Titanic, I feel like suffers from the fact that the script isn't very good. Oh, absolutely. I think. Well, and I got to go further. I think that. Wolfgang Peterson, like, you just can't make this movie this way and, like, have it be, like, good, good. I mean, because, like, this is, like, a, a, a truly incidental movie, right? It's about a bunch of guys on a fishing boat going out too far and getting caught in a once-in-a-lifetime storm. The perfect storm. I mean, um, it's a super serious like it's a self-serious action movie. Yes. That really just hangs in the star power and the level of effects they're able to pull off, right? Yes, but Wolfgang Peterson, I I mean, I guess he's the one I'm going to blame. I think he just got got nervous or like wanted to pay homage to like to the way you make 90s ensemble action films. And then he made a terrific film. What? No, he did not. You think this is a terrific film? I think it's a terrific film in a lesser way than like a movie like Titanic is. Oh, good. That's that's a hot take. Um, you can't. You can The problem for me is that like this has to be like a ninety-minute movie that explores the characters on the boat on the Andrea Gale, and everything that is jammed in back in the town with Diane Lane and Wahlberg's mom and the insertion of the Shawshank Warden and Karen Allen and the insertion of like (laughs) the guys that you can't see on the helicopter. These are all just like sympathy plays to like balance the audience's happiness scale from the fact that these guys are going to die. Well, they need to see someone who's going to live. I know. And that felt so cowardly to me. And it wasn't interesting because like, why do I care about faceless helicopter pilots and the warden from Shawshank? No, but I think, like Titanic, there's some real silliness here. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, it ultimately makes for a pretty entertaining movie of this genre. Okay, you gotta and con- convince me of this, because I I certainly do not think this is a technically good movie, but my watch is up in the air. The fog's just lifting. Throw off your bow line, throw off your stern... Head out to South Channel, past Rocky Neck, Ten Pound Island, past Niles, Niles Pond, where I skated as a kid. kid. Blow your air horn and throw a wave to the lighthouse keeper's kid, kid on Thatcher Island. And the birds show up. Black backs and herring gulls, big dump ducks. The sun hits you. You're a goddamn swordboat, Captain. Is there anything better in the world, Chance? We'll always wonder. Convince me harder. I just think like Clooney saying that speech with that scruffy beard and just yeah. like motoring ahead at 12 in that like banged up old boat is just like a pretty cool thing to watch. But Noah, the guys on the boat just like are not interesting enough. Like Fickner and Riley get in a fight because like because they're both like macho guys Wahlberg just like looks up to Clooney John Hawks like barely has anything to do I will say I liked the I did I like the tour of the boat my problem is just like this wasn't 
it just didn't like dive well, in enough for, on what it needed to do. It's too the broad. Problem for me is that if you like really look at any of these characters closely, they're all like pretty scummy people. Oh God, yeah. So you have like George Clooney who's abandoned his two daughters what ten years ago to like hack it as like a swordfish captain, right? Then you've got Mark Wahlberg, who's like, what, early 20s, idealistic, doesn't know what he wants, leading on this, like, 40-year-old divorced woman. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of scummy. So I think it's, the movie is safe in the fact that it just keeps them, like, being the most romantic versions of themselves from a distance. Yeah. So you're saying the stories are intentionally ill-drawn to hide what bad people they are? I don't think that they are intentionally done that way. But I think, like, if you wanted, like, a deeper movie, which seems like you do, I think you'd find, like, a pretty, like, horrible one. I just wanted a movie that worked. This movie, for me, just, like, does not work. No, I really don't. Like, it... It's just another tale of sea hubris, dude. There's a middle 30 minutes where you sort of understand what their relationship to this profession is, where they're like tossing the fish on ice, when there's the shark, when he gets like hooked, when Riley gets hooked by the uh, the stray fishing line. But like otherwise, it's just like a bunch of people screaming in the dark and like bad stories about their families. Right, but there's also some like really good special effects, some pretty compelling action sequences, I would say, that like put these guys in harm's way, must much like the similar part in Titanic where it's like Kate Winslet running around looking for the axe. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think you have the like the the physical space of the of their fishing boat is like not interesting in the way Titanic is interesting. I think your your privilege may color your vision for mm. this movie. Spoiled, I say. Um, <laughs> Spoiled? Spoiled, I say. <laughs> I mean, I think that I do think that like the suicide element is interesting. Well, okay, let me put it this way then. Like, I just don't think that Wolfgang Peterson can do a good job on this movie. Like, this movie is dark. Like, it's inherently dark. Like, they. Clooney is just like, fuck it, I'll just kill us all because of what a man does and, like, what a captain does. And I think that's interesting, but, like, to make this a a mass appeal blockbuster movie, like, the things that were added to it for levity, like, made it bad. I mean, I see it more... What it really sort of is is not, like, a huge blockbuster, but a movie similar to something like... Um, Mississippi Grinds, but then given that action movie sort of like turn. You're you're seeing the part of the movie that I'm seeing, but I'm telling you that like that's not there. Like that went unexplored. Mississippi Grinds. Oh yeah, but then it ultimately like needs to be the most like commercially viable thing it can be, and ultimately like settles on a pretty mediocre ending. But I think leading up to the climax, at least for me, was a pretty satisfying watch. And I thought like a pretty, uh, it got me. It tugged at the heartstrings. Are you going to say this is good, good? I'm going to say it's good, good. Oh, gross. Then I'm going to say it's bad, bad. <laughs> Are you crazy? You no, didn't enjoy this movie? This is not a well-regarded film. I would have, I might have met you in the bad, good territory, but if you honestly think... <laughs> That this horribly written, horribly constructed movie is good, good. Then I, then I'm in bad, bad territory. You, you were not entertained by this movie. <sighs> nah, not like. I think it had like a third. The middle third was pretty entertaining. Wait, so if if I like compromise and say bad, good, will you meet me? Sure. I'm still going with good, good. <laughs> Then it's a bad, bad from Portland. <laughs> Sail out to the Flemish cap and find someone who agrees with you. Um, oh, my God. Okay. So our last film this evening is the oldest one, in fact, that we've reviewed in uh, 31 episodes. It is from 1972. It is The Poseidon Adventure, which was remade, coincidentally, As, by, yeah, Wolfgang, by Wolfgang in, Peterson in 2006. And contains an amazing Kurt Russell line reading where someone says, what's that? And he says, it's a pressure valve. It won't open unless there's tremendous pressure. (laughs) 
There's a lot of lines like that in like the original too. <laughs> yes, in fact, in fact, there is. Um, yeah. So this movie opens up in the closest bathtub. <laughs> With a camera the size of an army man on its hull. (laughs) Where a child's boat is being, like, pushed back and forth by hands off camera. And then it, like, cuts to... It's supposed to be establishing that you're on this cruise ship. But what I'm joking about is that the effects are not very good. Oh, they're so bad. Even for the day. Oh, yeah. Like, they're, they're pretty comical. Right. Um, which you, what is one of the interesting things if we can paint an immediate contrast with Titanic? The thing about this movie, when I looked it up, they made it for four and a half million dollars, and it made a hundred and twenty-five million, which in nineteen seventy-two made it the sixth highest-grossing movie of all time. Which, yeah. which is kind of like you know when you like go back and you're just like, oh, Don, like Don McLean's American Pie was once like the second highest-grossing album of all time because there wasn't thriller yet like that's what this is like with like star wars um yeah but yeah i mean it made its money back times like 35 and like titanic was so good and expensive like it made its money back by like 10 um but yeah the production value is horrible (laughs) the production value is horrible and like the ultimate message of the movie is like also pretty horrible (laughs) It's pretty, yeah, it sure is. Basically, uh, the movie, so the, the basic setup to the movie is there's people on a, a New Year's Eve cruise. The cruise gets hit by a wave. It topples over and uh, caps or upturns, upends. Yeah. And they have to figure out how to get out the remaining people on this boat, which isn't many because most of the people die. Yeah, like right the fuck away. And um, then people die as the movie goes along and the end result is basically, God is dead. What is it, look at? I never saw anything like it. An enormous wall of water coming towards us. In the early morning hours of New Year's Eve, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Carol Lindley, Roddy McDowell, Stella Stevens, Shelley Winters, Jack Albertson, Pamela Sue Martin, Arthur O'Connell, Eric Shea, and Leslie Nielsen were aboard the SS Poseidon when it was hit by a 90-foot tidal wave. The most interesting thing you can say for this movie contextually, um, and it comes in a line of like 70s disaster movies that precede the 90s disaster movie obsession. Like this comes like right alongside Airport and Towering Inferno and these same kinds of like massive ensemble movies, usually with like one capable actor at the front, which would have uh, been Paul Newman and Towering Inferno, I think. Um, uh, But then like OJ, maybe. Juice. (laughs) Um, your uncle juice is a good actor uh (laughs) he was in the towering inferno as the security guard with no lines um but then like the rest of the ensemble cast is like misfits and like people from prior generations and like forthcoming famous people who are like looking for their break it's a yeah you've got like a pretty sad and downturned looking red buttons shelly winters and uh ernest bork nine yeah and uh charlie's grandpa from the original oh, yeah, uncle joe willy wonka yeah there you go or uncle yeah i was watching this movie last night uh with my roommate and every time Uncle Joe had, or Grandpa Joe had to do like any sort of thing on screen to survive. Uh, we started singing, but it can be done. <laughs> Most of the time it was done. And then it was done. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it, it, this movie is interesting to watch if, like, for some reason you want to see what created. Roland Emmerich and Michael Bay and Wolfgang, like what construction created them. Cause that's what this is. Um, oh yeah. Our lead character is uh, Gene Hackman. Who's like a strange, very strange, um, like preacher who has this very weird dynamic with a priest who is also on the cruise ship and like their the priest's death and Gene Hackman's ultimate like leading of the expedition creates sort of like this uh, very odd kind of mean philosophical question about like whether in your faith you ought to be Darwinian for God or 
feel like like a true compassion for him. It's very oh. odd. I think the bad, like the funniest and most misleading part of this movie is the miscasting or I guess retroactive miscasting of Leslie Nielsen in a straight role. Well, I'd love to talk to you about Leslie Nielsen. He plays the captain of the boat. Right. And he just like, you just know something is bonkers about a movie that casts Leslie Nielsen in like a straight role. Yeah. Like even though he hadn't made that turn, like that was his destiny and you've miscast him if you didn't put him in that. Well, Leslie, he, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was going to say Leslie Nielsen is at the forefront of like a thing I kept seeing over and over again in this movie is that the movie has so little direction or like parameters for its actors that they just like start fucking with line delivery. And Leslie Nielsen has my favorite, which is when he sees um, the oncoming tidal wave. Um, oh, and it's, it's building up in the shallows. And by the way, happy new year. <laughs> Um, traditionally when uh, people see something they want to exclaim about they say oh my god Um, and Leslie Nielsen instead delivers the line as oh my god (laughs) (laughs) but he gets to deliver that great you ignorant bastard it's great Uh, there are a couple good like throwdowns where um, Hackman says you pumpus ass (laughs) <laughs> like, that's not how you say that word, Gene Hackman. But you certainly oh, yelled it loudly. I think that uh, strives in uh, audio recording were made in the 1970s just because they needed mics that could pick up Gene Hackman's yelling without, like, peaking. Because <laughs> there are times when he yells in this movie for, like, two straight minutes, and the mics are just, like, giving way, like the hull of the Titanic. But, yeah, there's just something weird be- about the, like as you were talking about the management of the movie, <clears throat> as you said about Titanic. Yeah. Whereas like, so the, for the first 15 minutes of the movie, the protagonist basically is Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> and you are expecting for the next, I would say hour to run into him. Right. <laughs> you do not. He is dead. Well, you don't actually see him die. So right. I thought he was going to appear like at a crucial moment. He does not. No, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's dead other than them. Oh, my Um, God. But, yeah, but then they have to introduce you to other people because they realize in the script Leslie Nielsen dies in two pages. Right. So they then introduce you to so many people. Oh, my God. They introduce you to this, like, just the foulest stereotypes. so good they are they're so horrible so you have like the jew grandparents going to uh, see their you know like post 1960s uh reconstructionist kids who are living in israel now and a a movie with like a big wink at the uh the exodus yeah anywho um so Uh, that's uncle that's grandpa joe and shelly winters and And shelly winters is constantly punished for being overweight Right, um, by herself and everyone else on screen. Yeah. You have... Let's see, uh, Ernest Borgnine is this cop who's married this hooker who recognizes one of her Johns aboard. <laughs> yep. Uh, you have a uh, 18-year-old question mark young woman traveling with her uh, her little brother without their parents. I think they're going to meet... Sis! They're going to meet their parents. He's one of the, I mean, this little boy probably created the trope of like the annoying screaming kid in a disaster movie. He is so irritating. Um, (laughs) And then the girl just has this very uncomfortable sexual tension with Gene Hackman. um, (laughs) Who's in his like... Grandpa Joe. Yeah. This movie has a pretty gross thing about old men and young women. Like... Right, and it also, like, the camera's kind of perverted. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, it's always like, oh, let's look sure. at the woman shot from the underwear climbing up this ladder. Oh, God, yeah. Well, the women aren't drawn terribly favorably either. Like, the oh, women God, are either, no. like, underage temptresses or literally hookers. Yep. Or, like, or fat women who, like, gum up the works. Who are or killed fucking, for being overweight. Yeah, or who literally die because they're overweight. Yeah. Um, 
And then you have that folk singer who's so useless. Yeah. She becomes like so petrified with fear at every turn that she can barely move. So yeah. this like sad old man played by Red Buttons <laughs> who like is this like, you know, 50 year old virgin or something. So creepy. He gets to like play with her for the rest. He gets to use her as like a safety object for the rest of the film. He's hitting on her the moment she has found out her brother and bandmate is dead. With the best opening line ever, which is, Miss, your brother is dead. (laughs) I think, and so here's the, that's a good segue into Hackman. So I think Hackman is, as we've talked about, I feel like we've done a lot of Hackman movies recently. He is unquestionably like one of my favorite actors. I think he's wonderful. And I think in this movie, in the absence of like any sort of good script at all, he's just trying to like match the loony sort of insanity of what is going on to the point of like almost mockery at times. Um, the Like the melodrama is so high. Oh, it seems as though he's like screaming towards like the Hollywood gods of like, how did I get here? Right. I just like won the Oscar for French Connection. And like, I can't believe I signed up for this before I knew how that movie was going to be received. Um, right. So... But Hackman is a weird expedition leader. You know, we I kept thinking about Tommy Lee Jones and Volcano, right? Like a, a, oh, disa- yeah. a disaster movie. Gene Hackman is not a leader of people. Like there's this weird moment where, you know, they're going through the kitchen where like people have been burned alive by flash fires. And he like turns back to them. And he's like, don't look around. It's not a pretty sight. It's like, (laughs) that's not what you say to people when there's like dead bodies around. Like he, at least he was kind enough to throw his blazer onto that man who was just stare or the dead body. That's just staring at them. (laughs) He's like, he's just too intense to like be that guy. What else do we have to get to? The movie has some interesting because like the most it can manage as far as like, a special effect is what is the boat in the bathtub. Um, right. Well, no. the cool thing about the movie, I'll give it, is the set pieces are really interestingly done. Yeah. Because you have to make a set that is upside down, but also like a usable set. Yes, and they can't. And the way they, they can't use computers. Is, right, and there's no computers, and they're using live fire and live water stunts. Mm-hmm. Like I think the craft of this movie is pretty impressive for its time but it's like it's moments of ambition that like maybe looked cool 40 years ago right definitely do not yeah i liked that like you know when you watch a michael bay movie and you're just like get off of me this movie like (laughs) there's something pleasant about watching this movie because you can actually watch it it's not happening to you and so you're like oh it is cool that they actually had to push that christmas tree up there like the practical effects are pretty decent but like even in that moment where i was like writing down and complimenting like oh that's like pretty interesting that they actually had to do that on set i was just like didn't that christmas tree just kill 20 people two seconds ago and like no one is concerned about that as they're lifting up the tree um it's just let's let's maybe wipe the dead off this tree before (laughs) we use it as a ladder (laughs) yeah Weirdly. This, this movie doesn't ask that many questions, though. No, you just got to get to uh, the bottom top of the boat. But where I think this movie ultimately fails is, like, it doesn't know how to end. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't, like, from the outset, like, it doesn't know how it should end. And you don't want to get ends bo- up. You don't want to get boring right when you're supposed to get exciting. And that's what happens. <laughs> Right, like, watching them get to, like, get from thing to thing is, like, not, there's not much drama there. No. No. And then, like, when it ends, like, some of them make it and some of them don't, not to spoil it too much, but the dramatic climax of the movie is Gene Hackman's, like, ultimate sacrifice and him, like, getting yelled at. Yeah. And he then, like... His exit from the film is not terribly, like, (laughs) he, like, falls into, like, a kiddie pool (laughs) in something that in most cinema, like, in cinema law of of physics, a pretty survivable thing. 
So I would say that this movie, Noah, uh, if I can introduce a small addendum to our to our rating system, I would say this movie is bad, good with gin, which is how I watched it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where you're really enjoying the just insanity and like weird, like oppressive, like r- lack of regard for human life that's happening. Um, but if you were not drinking gin and watching it at one in the morning, it would almost certainly be bad, bad. I'm going to have to go with bad, bad here. Same, yeah. I didn't like it. I felt like it left a film on me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it, I felt a little gross afterwards. It's like one of those, like, weird, dark 70s action movies that it's like, what? Gross. So. Yeah, like, almost like if you went back, as we said at the very beginning, like, if you go back for, like, the interesting... Uh, Proto Emmerich thing, like you're also gonna get the stink of like '70s <laughs> depression and like last century values on you, and like that's not a totally worth it trade off. So yeah, probably bad, bad. If you yourself are thinking of challenging the sea to a mortal battle, I wouldn't do it. Um, if but, movies teach us nothing, it's the do not engage with the sea. <laughs> but I would follow us on Twitter at Be Real Guys. Uh, listen on SoundCloud. Subscribe on iTunes. We would really appreciate that. Uh, you can always write us at Be Real Guys, uh, two E's like a film reel, at uh, gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, with more of these fun evergreen episodes I'm so enjoying doing with you, buddy. Oh, I enjoy them too. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Friend? Pal? Talk to you later. All right. Until then. I have a child! There's nothing.